student-athletes win the right to get paid. The Vikings have the best NFL draft of 2020, and I take your viewer questions. Welcome to the Sherm Show. Welcome, 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 welcome to this gloomy May day in Minnesota. So students have long fought for the right to get paid for their likeness, uh, get endorsement deals. Colleges are making billions and billions of dollars off these kids every single year, and they're getting somewhat of an education. And let's be honest, are they getting a great education? Probably not. There have been many cases where kids are... Uh, having tutors do their work for them. Uh, they're missing classes, but getting credit like they are attending classes. They they get help wherever they can just so they're academically eligible to play. Because coaches, they need those programs winning. They need those kids with all their focus on their sport, that they, their sport of expertise, basketball. They want their basketball players focused on practice and focused on the games. These coaches, they're paid for the caliber of player that they can recruit. And secondly, they're paid for uh, making it to the tournament, doing well in their conference, then making it to the national tournament, the NCAA tournament. And then they're paid by titles, or at least getting far into the tournament. So, and in football... You know, you're paid for, you know, again, recruiting the best players. You recruited for winning games, and you recruited for making it to bowl games, where if a school makes it to a bowl game, they get a certain amount of money just for making it to the bowl game, and then even more money for winning that bowl game. So for years, I've, I've, I've been on the wrong side of this, I think. I, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, these kids are getting a free education out of this, and and that they should be grateful for that. But as as I've listened and, and learned and and seen the kind of money that comes out of this shoe deals and you know these coaches are getting seven eight million dollars a year, uh, including money from those shoe deals. These schools are you know paying guys, and you know a lot of these kids have to go kind of behind the scenes or or go get money illegally. Uh, which a lot of times makes them ineligible. They get caught. Maybe they get caught after the fact. And then the school bears the brunt of the penalty. There's so many things wrong with this, and there's there's it's so skewed and corrupt. I, I think this is a good step in the right direction to taking care of making this just. But there are a lot of things that need to be worked out. Who gets paid as far as the players go? Because you have to make it equitable. Okay, then you you know does Title Nine somehow come into play here? You know if if because there's not a whole lot of female college athletes that are are really bringing in revenue. You know, aside from let's say um, like a UConn basketball or Notre Dame basketball, you know schools like that. You know, there's maybe four or five schools that go on these huge win streaks and and bring in a ton of fans. You know, otherwise, you know, there's no girls coming out of college playing tennis that are getting nationwide recognition. Uh, there's not a whole lot of track athletes, uh, softball athletes, um, soccer athletes. You know, a lot of these, you know, the, the athletes that are, are getting the recognition on the, on the female side of things, they don't go to college. You know, these tennis players, they're playing on the pro circuit from 15 on. They don't, they don't go to college. And the soccer, you know, the soccer players, a lot of them are skipping college and going and playing for uh, – like a USA team or something like that. Um, So there's just, you know, there's not, it it would be hard to make it equitable in college between men and women. Um, That's, uh, that's just a a fact. Uh, But even just, if you just take the guys, if you just take men's college athletics. So if, if a football player gets paid because from the revenues of, of a, of a school or a TV contract or however they figure it out. How do they figure 
out who gets what cut as far as players go. So if I'm, let's say I'm Jadavion Clowney uh, playing for South Carolina, and I'm the, the, the star of that team, number one pick coming up in the draft, I, people come to see me play. There's no other players people come to see for South Carolina. Do I get a bigger cut than, say, the punter? I mean, I know I should, but is that equitable? And how do they find out, okay, if they don't pay them the same, because obviously they're not as equitable in, in uh, revenue generation, how do you figure out what that ratio is? How do, how do you know or how do you calculate how much revenue a player themselves themselves bring in? Or is it just based off memorabilia sales? You know, is it bit just based off how many people buy your jersey or buy anything with your name and likeness on it? I think that's probably the way they have to go because there will be some, some definite infighting if you somehow give one player more than another because it's, it's a little hard to generate or I'm sorry, not generate, but a little hard to calculate how much that player is worth to that team. In, in the pros, it's easier because you have contracts. You have individual contracts, player by player. Uh, and you can take the best, the average five uh, guys in the league. And you couldn't do that in college because you would, I mean, you'd almost have to institute a free agency program or something like that to be able to, to start, you know, doing individual contracts and like that. And then you have collective bargaining. And it's just, at that point, it's just a, it's a professional league, just, you know, a younger professional league. So, you know, I, I, I'm really interested, you know, I've, that's the reason I've been kind of anti pay the players because it's just like, okay, how do you make it fair to number one on the team compared to number 53 on the team or however many guys there are? I don't, I don't remember, but, um, you know, there's just, there's just too many wrinkles to, to straighten out, uh, before they can really implement this. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on it. I just, you know, I, I've been on the wrong side of this. I, I know that, um, and I acknowledge that, and I, I own up to it. But I just don't know how you divvy that out. So I guess we'll see. I, you know, there's a there's a lot to be a lot to be straightened out there. But um, it's it finally you know came to pass. And another thing is, you know, they now you see college players, you know, freshman college or college basketball players specifically coming into their freshman year. Now they're skipping college and going to the G League, and there's a program there. I think you can you can sign a contract with the G League, and I think you can pay like 150 grand or somewhere around there, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, and that's you know, and I think that's why this you know they they kind of passed this in, on the NCAA level because they saw this was going to kill college basketball. Once that once that first guy jumped over the the line, a bunch of them followed. So now like three of the top, I think ten recruits are doing this now where they're going to the G League and getting paid. And, you know, guys were doing this before. They were playing overseas. LaMelo Ball went and played in Australia. Um, he's a top three recruit, maybe even number one pick. Who knows? It was coming to coming to a head, and the NCAA had to do something to save NCAA basketball because that was, it was a real threat to their revenue and just to their overall brand. So... That's they really had no choice. So it's you know as as much as you want to give the NCAA credit uh, for doing something like this, they had no choice in the matter. They were backed into a corner, and it's either let the let the guys rule the roost, or, or at least take some control over this and, and try to salvage uh, some of the revenue that you've you've been used to. But definitely, you know, some 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 of these programs are going to take a hit. You know, if guys continue to to jump to the G League, although I don't think they will. I think. The money will be better. Uh, actually, I know the money will be better. You know, you got a guy going to the G League. He's not going to shine like he would in a college program. He's not going to stand out. Uh, you get these top five recruits. You know, let's say a guy goes to North Carolina. He could darn well lead that team to an ACC title uh, or, or maybe be player of the year. And he stands out. And, you know, kids, you know, college basketball is still as popular as ever. This, you know, the, the NCAA tournament. They lost billions upon billions of dollars when it got canceled this year. You know, the G League, you're just not going to stand out that much. There's not that much. Uh, there's not. There's barely any televised games. Um, you don't have people following those teams except for locally. So the the college game is always going to be a, a bigger stage. Uh, 
for these top players. And I think now that they're able to market themselves and get paid for it, the sky's the limit. I mean, you know, it just depends on, you know, it, I think it might take a couple of years. Like I said before, you know, they've, they've got to iron a lot of things out. But, you know, you start with memorabilia sales. I mean, that's something easy that you can that you can calculate. You know, you put every guy's jersey on the shelves and people, you know, that's free market. And, you know, every guy gets an opportunity to make some money off his likeness. You know, the, the 12th guy on the bench is definitely not going to make as much money as the first guy on the bench. He may not make any money. You probably never heard of the guy before. You know, but maybe, you know, maybe some relatives buy the jersey. You know, and let's say he makes a couple hundred bucks and the guy at the, you know, the first spot on the bench makes, you know, maybe $100,000 or a couple hundred thousand dollars. Either way, it's going to be better for your brand, your personal brand, if you go to college now. You're going you're gonna to build that brand. You're going to be able to make some money uh, from the get-go. Uh, you may even be able to get some endorsements. I don't know if how they're going to iron that out. I would imagine it'll be just like anything else. Uh, so I really think you know this them letting that go or letting, letting students uh, share in that revenue, I, I think it's going to make a huge difference in college basketball and probably save college basketball. Because if they were stubborn and didn't do anything, I think you would have seen 80% of the top 10 picks in every year's draft jump to the G League and just start making money or go international and then come back for the draft. All right, um, that's we'll 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 move on from that and uh, we'll take a break. But uh, when we call, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the Vikings draft and and those picks that they made and how it will affect their upcoming season. We'll be right back. So the 2020 draft, 2020 NFL draft, the Vikings uh, had the best draft of all 32 teams. What do you know? Go ahead, Rick Spielman. Uh, so let's let's kind of review that draft and, and kind of see how our needs were met. Uh, obviously, we had needs in the secondary with only three guys on the roster left from that secondary. Uh, we had some needs in the def- defensive front. Uh, and with the trade of Stefan Diggs, we had some needs uh, for our, our wide receiver group. So in the first round, uh, number 22, we took Justin Jefferson. He's from LSU. He's a hands guy, good body control, catches the ball in stride, and has a lot of after-the-catch abilities, uh, a lot like Stefan. Ran a little faster than we expected him to at the combine. So the, the I guess the concern is he's a slot guy, and so is Thielen. Um, we don't really yet have that outside guy. Uh, it's going to stretch the field for, for our inside guys so but you know I, I think was a great pick uh, he was the best receiver available I guess the you know the thing that worries me he wasn't recruited out of high school um, so he was kind of a late bloomer and seems like we take a lot of these guys so it's those types of things worry me I, I don't I don't I don't want projects you know I don't especially when we're in the middle of our window Kirk Cousins in the, is in the second year of that offense uh, we've got Kubiak, who was the offensive assistant last year, and now calling the plays, which I love. I love Gary Kubiak. So I, I think if if Jefferson can pick up where Stefan left off and not be such a headache, I think we're we're golden. We just need we need that one more. I think we need that one more piece. And I, I think there's a lot of guys. I think there maybe some trades to be made. I think there are some free agent wide receivers out there. I think Corey Davis uh, was released by Tennessee. Uh, he was a first round pick from a few years ago. You know, I think there are guys out there who can fill that role still. So let's see what the Vikings do uh, as far as the wide receivers go. But picking Jefferson there at 22, I think, was the right move. All right, we traded number 25 to San Francisco for three picks and and Spielman seemed to do this the entire draft is just he, he just he kept trading for a gluttony of picks and, and you know even before the draft when you know tr- trading digs for for that haul and you know then he trades number 25 for three picks just just seemed like he was just just fleecing guys all day um but you know we had seen some some good corners go off the board and so, and that's that's definitely a spot we we needed to beef up on. So, uh, we took Jeff Gladney at 31 uh, from TCU. You know, we didn't reach there. I think he was the best one available at that point. Uh, he's a physical corner. 
Um, he's he's a little bit undersized. He's more like a Mike Hughes size, but he's a he's a physical guy and, and kind of makes up for it. And again, with the, with the departure of, of Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, uh, we definitely need to needed uh, something somebody physical uh, on the outside. So that was the right move to make. I think I saw a statistic: our teams against us completed seventy percent of their passes when a cornerback was the nearest defender. 70%, 7 out of 10 passes were completed when either Rhodes or Trey Waynes or Mackenzie Alexander were the nearest guy to the, to the offensive player. So um, am I sad to see those guys go? No. Uh, was I glad to see, not to, not to make a pun out of this, but glad to see Gladney picked? Yes. Um, I, I think we still uh, needed or need kind of the prototypical big Mike Zimmer defensive back like Xavier Rhodes, you know, kind of the guy that's 6'1", but also really fast and long. Um, and I, I think we got that later in the draft, which we'll talk here and about later. But Gladney, physical guy, speed demon, This I, I think he'll fit in well. I think he'll be better than Trey Waynes was. You know, Trey Waynes just, he never trusted his technique he never, you know, he was always always had his back to the quarterback. I think he was always panicking that he was that he was getting beat when he really wasn't. He was, you know, and that's why, you know, he got lots of passes completed over him because he just he never looked back for the ball. He was afraid he was getting beat. He never trusted the technique and and so if he would have looked back at the quarterback and 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 read the receiver's eyes a little bit better, I, I think he would have been a a much better uh, defensive back, but you know he he was serviceable. You know he was probably the our you know after Rhodes kind of started to decline two years ago. Waynes was the guy, and um, you know if he had been just just had confidence in himself and his technique, I, I think he would have been ten times better. So, but I think Gladney was the right pick here, and uh, and uh, we'll move on to the next pick. And our third pick, uh, still in the second round, number fifty-eight was Ezra Cleveland, who is a tackle out of Boise State. For whatever reason, he fell to us, and once once the Trent Williams trade Trent Williams t- trade didn't materialize uh, with Washington, it was obvious we needed to pick a tackle at this point. By doing this, you know maybe we don't get the talent there, at least not immediately, but or initially, but uh, we save a ton of money, and we probably save some draft picks too by not having trade to Washington. So um, this is a great pick. Um, he's got a big ceiling. It sounds like we'll start with we'll keep uh, Riley Reef at, at left tackle and, and kind of bring Cleveland up uh, Ezra Cleveland up slowly at right tackle. Uh, however, um, you still got Jason Peters out there. You know, I would love to see us. Riley Reef has been serviceable, but I'd love to see us maybe save a little money and drop Reef and maybe sign Jason Peters to a two-year deal. I think he's got some gas in the tank. He's he's a Pro Bowl tackle. You sign Peters to a two-year deal, let him. Do his thing at left tackle, uh, bring Cleveland up slowly at right tackle, and then once once Peters retires, you know you move Ezra over to left tackle, and and you know maybe draft your next right tackle or sign somebody. But I, I think Reef is 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 serviceable and I, I, it's, he's fine. But I, I think Kirk just needs a little bit more time. Uh, he's still got some happy feet back there. And then Warford out of out of uh, out of uh, New Orleans, three year Pro Bowler. They released him. I'm assuming that's a cap casualty. I'm assuming there's nothing else behind the scenes going on. I mean, that's a, that's another guy you could probably you could probably draw, uh, release Reef and sign Peters and Warford. Start Warford at guard right away. Peters at left tackle. Cleveland, uh, Ezra Cleveland at right tackle. Holy crap, that's a hell of an offensive line right there, if you ask me. So I I I would love to see us make that work. You know, who knows what the plan is? But I, yeah, I, I think Cleveland was the right pick and and. Um, to this point, Spielman's doing a great job. At the fourth pick they made was still in the third round, number 89. They took Cameron Dantzler, corner out of Mississippi State. Uh, we must have really liked what we see, what we saw at Mississippi State, because this is the first of a couple picks from that from that uh, defense. Dantzler, he's he's that prototypical Mike Zimmer corner. He's tall, lanky. Uh, he had a slow day at the combine. He, I think he ran like a four six. 40, uh, which is pretty dang slow for a corner, but uh, at his own pro day, he ran like a 4-4. So I'm not worried about his 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 40 or his speed, but I like his 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 length. He's you know a 6'2. Uh, he's a little slender. He'll have to put on some some muscle, but he's that guy who can cover your outside guy. He's gonna be the guy 
the takes uh, road spot. And then um, you'll have Gladney and Hughes kind of kind of shifting in and out of those kind of slot corner positions. So um, I think this is a great pick. And, you know, that's that's kind of what we need is at this point in the draft is we need to continue to build up our secondary. So, um, again, I think it's 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 a great pick on uh, Spielman and, and Zimmer's part. Look, I'm not going to talk about the other 11 picks because we could be here for a couple hours. But um, overall, I think Spielman had a really, really good draft. And I think teams around the league pretty much agree with that. All in all, we picked, out of the 15 picks we had, we picked three offensive linemen, two wide receivers, a quarterback, two defensive linemen, a linebacker, four corners, and two safeties. Uh, So heavy emphasis on the defensive side, which um, kind of fits... Uh, Zimmer's MO. Uh, we did pick in the seventh round, we picked the quarterback from Iowa, which I will talk about just for a quick second, just to float Prentice's boat. Um, I don't know how this guy got picked. Uh, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the Big Ten. I actually saw him play. He actually had a career game against the Gophers, which is weird, but even even in the analysis, he they say he's not mobile. Uh, his accuracy is poor. But he'll he'll compete for a spot on the practice squad. Good for him. Yay, Iowa. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, but uh, that's uh, before we move on. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to our old friend, old high school friend, Amy Westbrook. Uh, her son, who played a wide receiver at uh, Indiana University, uh, signed a free agent contract with the Tennessee Titans. The article in Sports Illustrated says, Indiana wide receiver Nick Westbrook signs free agent deal with the Titans. Nick Westbrook, one of the best receivers in Indiana history, didn't get drafted this weekend, but the Tennessee Titans quickly signed him to a deal on Saturday night. This is on April 26th, uh, credit to Tom Brew of Sports Illustrated. So uh, congratulations to him. Um, it's always great to see people you know thrive in the sports world. So uh, best of luck to him. We'll keep an eye on him in the NFL. Next, we'll come back with some comments on The Last Dance, uh, and then we'll get into some viewer questions. Uh, so we'll be right back. All right, we're back. So... Let's just talk about the last dance a little bit. Uh, we've just caught. I've just caught up to uh, episodes seven and eight. Just a few comments about Michael, who I idolized and still do. Uh, I think he's the greatest basketball player to ever live. I don't think it's even a question. I didn't know he was so just kind of ghetto. He's just calling people ho, and he's just. I mean, he. <laughs> and to see him kind of laugh at Gary Payton while looking at the iPad. Uh, was just was classic he's just he's he's the goat and and there are so many reasons why and he was just savage he was just absolute savagery uh scott burrell i mean just picking on that dude and steve kerr getting blasted by him and but jordan calling him up and apologizing i mean just so many classic stories you know pippen sitting out and saying he wouldn't change a thing just, I mean, I could go on and on about talking about, I mean, this has got to be one of the greatest documentaries in the history of, of our era. Um, I would, I don't know what the, what the Nielsen ratings are or what the viewership is, but I mean, everyone I know is watching it and everyone I know loves it. And then at the end of that episode where they show him crying after winning, uh, the fourth championship. So the one in, uh, that would be 96, that, that was heartbreaking and even what even more heartbreaking is so they only showed a piece of that uh, i found a clip on twitter that shows basically the full 32 seconds of him just bawling after um after winning the championship and um we'll see if we can play it here see if you guys can hear this Come on, guys. 
Joe, give him a break. Guys, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So that, I mean, that, you know, that just had me just heartbroken. Uh, you know, just, you know, he had just won his first championship without his father being alive when he had been murdered, you know, the year before or whenever it was. You know, and just some of the, the things that came out of that that I never knew. When he played baseball, he started out with a 13-game hitting streak. I had no idea. But everyone, even Terry Francona, said give him 1,500 at-bats, he'd be in the major leagues. I think that's that's the testimony to the type of athlete and the type of hard worker that Michael Jordan was in in anything he did. He was so competitive, he would outwork any one of us to to be the best. That's just, you know, it's just it's crazy to see someone with that work ethic and and uh you know, I, I think the only one that comes close to him as far as work ethic goes in, in the, kind of the sports arena would be Kobe Bryant. And I have, a, I have a segment about him coming up here later on the show. But, um, yeah, that was that was amazing to see. Okay, uh, we'll take another quick break, and then we'll take viewer questions. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So viewer questions. So uh, my friend, uh, we call him noodles around these parts. Uh, he says, what do you think about baseball starting back up? Uh, I can't wait, number one. I'll watch every game. But uh, it sounds like they're they're uh, ramping up for a July 1st start. Uh, they'll do a shortened season. I don't know what that means. I don't know if, if, if that means 100 games. I don't know if that means 80 games. But at this point, I think we'll all agree we can, we'll take what we can get. You know, as... It sucks for fantasy baseball, you know, that's that's and all that and blah, blah, blah. But I think we need sports. Sports, you know, I said this, I've said this before. Sports are, are make up a big part of our psyche. Um, we feel good about sports. We feel good when sports are on. We enjoy watching it. So um, I think uh, now whether or not fans will be in there, that, that remains to be seen. I, I kind of doubt it, at least for the first month or so, unless, you know, magically we get a vaccine. You know, I'd go. If 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 they allowed fans, you know, I, I'm not going to speak on COVID-19 because I don't want to get political. I know it's a very hot button topic, but the only thing I'll say about that is facts over fear. Anyway, um, so, yeah, so I, I, I'm excited for baseball to start up July 1st. If that's what we can get, I'll take it. That may even be a good thing for the Twins, to be honest, a shorter season. But I, I just I wonder what, you know, how they do with the trade deadline and how they do, you know, that because that that may throw a little hiccup into the twins plans because i think uh, you know noodles noodles who is a, a kind of a baseball insider he was saying that the plan might be you know at the all-star break uh if we're in it or if we're ahead you know that's when we make a move for some starting pitching uh to make that run to the playoffs but um yeah who knows who knows how this is going to go and how this affects major league baseball team strategies on trades and whatnot so um we'll have to wait and see but you know like i said i you know Whatever little bit we, we can get, we'll take it. All right. Uh, the next question comes from my friend Cole. Uh, he says, I look like hell. Appreciate that, Cole. I'd appreciate more if you had a question. Anyway, uh, Jenna says, um, or asks Jenna from Mickey's, uh, why do the Vikings suck? That is, that's the million-dollar question. Um, I think they'll be better than the Packers this year. Jenna's a Packers fan, so everyone, boo, Jenna, boo. I I think we'll be better than the Packers. The Packers had the worst draft of the 2020 draft, so um, they didn't help themselves. They pissed off Aaron Rodgers. Um, so maybe tanks, who knows? But um, the Vikings had the best draft of all NFL teams, and I don't think we're done. I think we've got some maybe free agent signings to make before the season starts, assuming there is a season. So um, the answer to your question is we're not going to suck this year. Uh, next question from Tiffany. Uh, am I in a beard growing competition? No, but if I was, I'd win. Uh, you guys should see this beard. It's 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 flowing like the flag over Fort Sumner. Um, no, I'm, but I am getting sick of it. Uh, it's getting itchy, and um, my kids hate it. My wife kind of likes it, which is a uh, weird. But um, no. Uh, but I'd like I'd step up to anybody who was growing a beard. Uh, next question from Kate Cox, uh, who we hope to have on the show here 
in the near or short future. Uh, she wants to talk about how kids are coping with no sports. You know what? I depends on their ages. I, I think it's I think kids are kind of getting outside more, which I like. Um, they're they're playing sports. They're playing you know yard baseball or you know they're they're shooting pucks in their driveway or you know shooting basketballs in their hoops. You know, and I and I you know I, the younger generation is, which I think is is a change. You know, it, it's kind of the, the silver lining of this whole thing is parents are home and and they're they're getting out with their kids and and playing things. Whereas before, I think you know if if parents aren't home or parents are working kids are in front of the tv or playing video games you know here you know my kids aren't really old enough to to enjoy sports yet but you know we're outside and you know hitting off the tee and we just bought a trampoline so you know we're jumping on that every night so you know i the silver lining in all this is i think we're getting back to getting back to getting kids outside and 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 engaging in sunlight and fresh air I'm not the best at that, but you know, it's I'm outside more than I ever have been in the past few years. So, you know, so I, I think that's that's some of the stuff. Like the older kids, you know, it's 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 obviously not as fun. You know, you're not, you know, you're more social and you're playing on, on on school teams and you know even college teams. And these guys, I'm sure they're having a tough time. You know, especially seniors this year, uh, with spring sports being canceled. It's it's I I feel for those guys, man. It's just. You know, I, I remember my senior year being over with and being done with sports, and you know, it was emotional. You know, you kind of, you know, especially for kids who aren't moving on to college sports, it's, you know, it's kind of an end of an era for you. You know, you, you, you know, you, you don't get to see your teammates anymore. You don't play that sport as much anymore. You don't have that competition anymore. So, you know, it was, it was definitely hard for me. I remember that. And for these kids who kind of got robbed of that because of this virus, you know, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And for those kids going on to college and play college sports, you know, at least, at least you get to move on and, and start and continue to play in competitive, competitive sports. So I would, I would say, you know, bravo to you and, and really take advantage of that and really soak it in and appreciate that. Uh, and I think they will. I think, you know, if kids were taking it for granted or if, if they were taking, you know, high school sports for granted, and then moving on to college sports, I, I think they'll they'll really start to appreciate that more. So, because um, it you know it, you don't realize that at any time stuff can be taken away from you just in a blink of an eye, and and we never saw this coming. Nobody ever saw this coming. Nobody ever you know even during a pandemic, who's you know who thinks they're going to shut down schools and shut down sports and shut down or you know events and arenas. You know it's just we've never no one's ever experienced anything like this. So, but just you know appreciate it and. And do your best, and and I know you're you know a lot of people are learning from home, and and try to engage that so you you know you can have the grace to to partake in 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 future sports. Um, so great question, you know it's I think it's it's on everyone's mind, especially those of us with with high school kids. So ah, uh, let's see here next uh, from my friend Travis. How do you feel the NFC North has been shaken up, if any, after the draft? Like I said before, uh, I think. Packer fans, I mean, they're they're the most Homer fans, are the most uh, reliable fans. I think um, they will they will go to bat and they will take a bullet for the Packers. Uh, they'll even give their hard-earned money for shares of the Packers, even though it doesn't give them any type of ownership whatsoever. You know, I, I obviously I think the Packers just anytime you have Aaron Rodgers in the backfield throwing balls they always have a chance. You know, it's like Tom, you know, you never count Tom Brady out in the in Bill Belichick and the Patriots, although now it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but you never count guys like that out. And, you know, with with the team he had last year, they were carried by him and the defense. You know, the defense really, you know, really overperformed and carried them to the to the NFC Championship. So, you know, I and I think in the NFC, especially the NFC North, they're the team to beat, you know, until they lose. Although, you know, if we're if we're factoring the draft into that, they took a big hit, and I think even Packer fans will agree to that. I think I think drafting that quarterback is is was kind of a smack in the face to Aaron Rodgers, and you know they just they kept picking running backs, and it was just it was a weird draft, and, and nobody really knew what the strategy was. So so I, I think you know they were voted to you know at the bottom of the pack as far as their draft goes, and Vikings were voted the best. But again, you know we've got you know we've got some holes to fill, and we filled them, but they're rookies, you know, and and so. We may need some leadership there. Anyway, yeah, I, that's a good question. 
let's see here. Mooch. Mooch asks, he wants me to talk about the Vikings secondary. Again, we've got a bunch of rookies back there. We've got a bunch of young guys back there. Uh, we lost a lot of experience, a lot of veteran leadership. I, I, I really think we need to sign a veteran. Um, Logan Ryan just became available. He's got a lot of teams interested. I think he'd be a great fit. He'd be some. He'd be. Um, he'd he'd fill that void of veteran leadership, uh, especially in the cornerback within the uh, defensive backs. You know, but you know, we've we've got a lot of young guys back there. So we, you know, I think you know if anybody can can make them perform, it's going to be Mike Zimmer. But yeah, I I would really like to see us at least sign a veteran, um, if not to start, then at least kind of shore up that bench or shore up that depth and just kind of you know, get in the ear of those young guys and kind of give them the tricks of the trade. Good question, Mooch. Uh, next, let's see. Robbie the Tank. Who was the better defender, Pippen or Jordan? This is probably the best question of the night. And I actually had to look this up because initially I, I would have said, I would have said Pippen just because he, I mean, just that's all anyone ever talks about when you talk about Pippen. He was a lockdown guy. Although the, the you know I when I looked it up though interestingly enough and I wasn't sure he never won defensive player of the year, not once. Uh, he was eight time first team all defense. Jordan was nine, nine time all team all all team first defense. Um, and then Pippen was two time second team. So Jordan was a steals leader three years. Pippen was a steals leader one year. And I believe that was ninety five when Pippen led the league, and that's when Jordan was playing baseball. So. I think the stats would lead you to believe that Jordan was the better defender. And I think an argument could be made either way. I think, obviously, Jordan outshined Pippen and probably got more attention just for every aspect of his game. You know, Jordan really didn't have any holes in his game. Um, he adapted where he needed to and, and really and really uh, excelled in everything that he adapted to. Pippen, you know, that was kind of that was his role on that team. He wasn't looked to to score even though he was able to, and he did. Uh, but you know, if Jordan was scoring 38, 39, Pippen, you know, probably focused more on defense. So I think, I think the spotlight was on Jordan. And I think if Pippen was on a different team in his prime, he probably would have won defensive player of the year at least once. And then, you know, when he moved on to Portland and, and, um, and Houston, you know, he was, he was kind of past his prime a little bit. So the defense kind of suffered there, but, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think an argument can be made either way. But, I mean, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I think my guess would have been Pippen, but stats say Jordan. So, um, anyway, that's a, a great question. And we'll move on to – we'll take a break. Um, next, we'll move on to our uh, sports story uh, and then our top five. And then I'd like to say – give a little, I guess, editorial about Kobe Bryant. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, we're back. Top five. So, top if for those sneakerheads out there, Jordans. You know your top five Jordans of all time. Number one, uh, and we're talking about retro Jordans. Retro fives are my number one of all time. Uh, those are the ones uh, that came in kind of three main colors. You had the the black with the silver reflective tongue, the black and red with the silver reflective tongue. You had the white, white and black and red with the silver reflective tongue, which coincidentally I just purchased. Um, they re-released them. Uh, and then they had the grapes, which is the white with the purple tongue, which were, I, I bought those for my for my son, who never wore them. But those, those are number one. Uh, number two are the fours. They were the mids with the mesh on the side. Uh, those are just classic, and I love those. Number three. Number three are the 11s. Um, those are the ones with the patent leather on the bottom, white on top with the patent leather on the bottom, or black and red on top with the patent leather on the bottom. Those those are the ones that Jordan came back with after his first retirement. He had the 45 on the back. Those are, I mean, people were wearing them with tuxedos to prom. I mean, it was just, it was the coolest look. Um, and those, arguably, those could be number two. Nothing's going to be number five for me, but those those are classics. Number four would have to be, I'm having trouble here, but I'm going to say the sevens. Uh, those are the ones he wore with the Dream Team for the Olympics. Those were just, they were simple, but they were cool. They had cool colors. 
and just, I mean, just they bring back memories of the Dream Team, which kind of was the coolest year of kind of the Jordan era. Um, you know, he just won a championship, then he got to play with Bird and Magic. And then number five, I mean, you, you, I mean, the the first ones that came out are just always going to be in that list. Um, you know, they're they're real basic. Um, they're, you know, they're they're a shoe of the '80s. You know, you tell they're '80s, but I mean, you could wear them today and, and they look awesome. So um, those those are my top five. I'm sure you guys will have some arguments there, but um, you, know, you could you know you could fill in a couple different ones there. But I think it's a pretty strong argument. All right, next let's get into the sports story. Going back to the NFL. Uh, we're talking about my friend Amy Westbrook and her son making it to the NFL. Back when I was, I guess, coming out of college, we had a friend um, that we hung out with every now and then. His name was Kevin Case He was he was just an all-star athlete in our school. He was a star track athlete, basketball, uh, football. And he went on and played football at Augustana. And you really, if you didn't follow, I guess, D d2 football i think it's d2 football anyway he i think he excelled there but if you didn't follow d2 football you really didn't hear much from him and you know as as a friend i didn't really keep in touch with him i mean we weren't all that close but we hung out and um all of a sudden you kind of gets you hear rumors that he that he he walked on or um got a trout of the packers and was on the practice squad there and then um went and, and got became uh or got a job with the cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, he had a, a, a great career. I think, you know, he was a defensive back, and I, I think maybe he moved to safety here and there. But the problem was this is when the Bengals were just god-awful. I mean, you know, they were they were, they were nicknamed the Bungles, and they were always horrible. And in some part of his tenure there, he was, he was a punt returner as well. And every highlight or every time they would talk about the Bengals on, on SportsCenter, they would start it with him – dropping a punt or fumbling a punt or whatever and it was just it was funny because you know we knew him and and it, it sucked that you know that was kind of you know he was kind of the uh the poster child for that team but I mean I mean that wasn't that wasn't the reality I mean he had I think he had like a nine-year NFL career I think the average is three I think he even led the league in interceptions one year so he was nothing the nothing to sneeze at you know he you know he was an athlete and he worked hard and he was always humble, you know, he was always a quiet kid and just real cool. And, and, um, so, but I always found that funny, you know, that, uh, he would, uh, that was him, you know, on sports center. And that was the, that was the highlighter at the, that they would always show to kind of describe the Bengals. But, uh, that was far from the truth as far as, you know, Kevin's reality, you know, he was, he was probably one of the better players on that team. And, you know, it shows by, you know, just his longevity in the NFL. And obviously, you know, he's, I think he's a year older than me. So obviously he's retired now. And I think he's living in maybe South Dakota or something. But anyway, Kevin, if you're out there, if you're listening, we're proud of you, buddy. And, you know, we, we kept an eye on you and, and you made us, you made us proud, you know, to be from Lakeville, Lakeville, Minnesota. So I talked to, I, I did a pilot for this podcast uh, before this whole thing came out just to kind of see feasibility and see if I'd be good at it and see if I want to do it and on that on that pilot I talked about Kobe Bryant and I would I didn't release the pilot because it was just it was choppy and it just it needed too much work so I was really proud of my Kobe piece and I, I wanted to kind of reiterate it or, or restate it and just, you know I, I think I think for a lot of us it's still we're still in denial on Kobe Bryant it still hasn't hit us completely it still hasn't it still hasn't sunk in that Kobe's gone or for, you know, for others, it, it hit us really hard. And I, and I wanted to think about that and, and, and talk about, you know, why, you know, why did this person affect us so much? Why does someone we didn't know personally, uh, why did it hit us so hard as, as fans? And, you know, I, I think you have to go back. You know, I, I think when he was coming into the league, we hated him because he was he, he in his mind was going to be the next Jordan. And for a basketball purist, there is no next Jordan. Jordan is the Messiah. Jordan is Jesus. There is no next coming of Jesus. There is just Jesus. So. When he comes in the league, he's cocky. He's but he's flat and he's cocky. He's flashy, but he's good. 
you know, he speaks a couple different languages, you know, he wants to start a rap career, this and that. But we see him from the time he's 17 years old. The cameras are on him almost as much as they were LeBron when he was in high school. He was bald like Michael. He he stuck his tongue out like Michael. He shot his jumper like Michael. Uh, he dunked a little bit more flashy than Michael, but he, he emulated Michael. And so I, I think that kind of turned us off, but we, we kept an eye on him because we wanted to see if that came to fruition. We're like, okay, if he let's see if he really is this good. So he comes in the league. He pisses veteran players off. He he thinks he's the best player on the team. He's coming off the bench. He's angry about that. Come to the playoffs against Utah. He airballs three three pointers in a row. And in our minds, we're gonna remember him for that. He's going to change that narrative. We see him become the player. We see him win championships with Shaq. We see him start to control his own destiny when him and Shaq kind of break up. We see him change from number 8 to 24. We, sh- we see him shave the afro off. We see him make a huge life mistake and get accused of sexual assault in Colorado. We see him go through that turmoil with, with his wife and the media and this, this female. We see him fight through that. We see him fly to his court dates and fly back for playoff games. He goes on to win a couple more championships under his own tutelage of his players. We see him develop his game into more of a well-rounded game. Although he never won an MVP, which is shocking to me. Uh, We see him start to emulate Jordan a lot more but we also see him mature as a person. He, you know, he wins scoring titles. He he gets he's as hard on his teammates as Jordan was his. You know, when when we see the last dance and Jordan calling his teammates ho and bitch and whatever, you can't guard me. That was Kobe was built under the same cloth. You know, I remember I, he was so hard on Smush Parker. Smush Parker probably shouldn't have been in the NBA, but he he was, I don't know, you know, and maybe he didn't want to drag him along. Maybe he wanted to, you know, maybe he wanted to demoralize him. But, you know, I, th- I think his point was, like Jordan's, was to try and motivate those guys, try and see, okay, can you handle the pressure? But, you know, then we saw Kobe start to age and and adapt his game like Jordan did and start to back guys down, uh, start to get more guys involved. You know, we see him go through rotator cuff surgery. Uh, Then he starts to shoot the ball left-handed. We see him tear his Achilles late in his career and wonder if he's ever going to come back. We see him become a father and raise all daughters and call himself girl dad and be proud of it. We see him develop into that, and then he... Then he retires, and we see him in his last game score 60 points, and we cry. We cry because that's 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 our nostalgia. That's like watching Jordan uh, hit the shot on Brian Russell in 98. You know, that brings us back. But he scores 60 in his last game at 30, in his late 30s. And then we see him go on and become a successful businessman and movie producer and win a stinking Oscar. We see all this. We grew up with him. We watched him grow as if he was our owner, as he was our brother or our friend. We had so much access to him and everything he did. And we saw him start to coach his daughter and her to start to have that quote-unquote Mamba mentality. And we're like, this guy is the real deal. And then we saw him, you know, he, he was so honest in his interviews. So honest. And we loved it. We don't see guys like that anymore. They're they're fluffing the brand. You know, they're never going to do anything bad or say anything bad. Kobe didn't care. He'd say whatever was on his mind. And it was it was always intelligent. It was never It was never ignorant. It was never insulting. It was never weak-minded. It was always intelligent because he was an intelligent guy 
on the last dance when he was interviewed. We were so angry with him for coming into the league and saying he could be the next Jordan, but he was the closest thing to it. He was the closest thing to it. You guys could, could name LeBron and this and that. LeBron doesn't have the pedigree. I'm sorry. LeBron is, LeBron is just more physically gifted, and that's why LeBron is where he's at. But LeBron doesn't have the pedigree. I'm sorry. And you can argue with me on that all day. That's Kobe. Kobe, he was an honest. And on, on that last dance, he says something that I think made us love him even more posthumously. He said, I wanted to be him. I wouldn't have my five, five titles without him. And him meaning Michael Jordan. And he's absolutely right. He called him his big brother. And you could see it at, at his funeral when Michael spoke. Michael called him his little brother, and, and he he brought him up. He taught him everything he knew, and you could see it in every move Kobe did. There's a there's a video on, I think it's on Twitter. You could probably find it. And they do, they do a two-minute montage of shots that guys are taking. Uh, I'm just, not guys are taking, shots that, they did a two-minute montage of shots that Jordan shot during his career and Kobe shot during his career. And one after the other for each shot. And it was identical. Two minutes worth of jump shots, moves, dunks, dribbling, steals. I mean, it was, like I said, there's no second coming of Jesus. But Kobe Kobe was, he was the closest thing to it. And so when... When he passed, it just, it hit me, and it still hits me. I just, you know, him and his daughter and, and those other folks on the on the helicopter, it just, it was sad. And just the, watching the funeral service, it was, I cried. I did. But there is no Kobe Bryant without Michael Jordan, and that's, and that's fine. And I think, I think for us Michael fans, you know, that, will will attest to that but i think we were better off for it though i think i think when we were mad about it when he first came in i think we're we're like who is this kid to have the audacity to even talk about him and michael in the same sentence now it's michael kobe and i'm fine with that michael and kobe i mean you you can throw lebron in any time after that i don't care i'd i'd probably rather throw a magic or larry <sighs> But anyway, be healthy, be well, God bless. This is The Sherm Show. The Sherm Show is directed and produced by Chris Sherman. Opening music by Christine Wesnikoff. Research done by Kyle Rafferty. Sound editing by Art Vandalet. This is a production of Sherman Inc. Productions. 